but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. The earth. Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from the series, Witnesses, a study on the book of Acts. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Father in heaven, you are gracious, you are good. We've sung that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. They will say, holy, holy, holy. Those in Nicaragua, in America, in Asia, in in Africa, they will all come together at the throne. We pray for our team of just young uh, college students and and others who are down in Nicaragua. Just strengthen them this week, guard them physically. Uh, Don't let them uh, get sick or uh, just be weak in that way, Lord, and And just use them to encourage the church there. And use the church there to encourage them. That the gifts that you've given the the, the body would encourage and build up. And you would just, maybe out of that, you'll call one or more of those young young folks to full-time ministry overseas. Who knows what you'll do. But just just let them have a great week. And we we look forward to hearing next week what, what happened and seeing a little bit. Father, as we finish this story today... The book may end, but, but our story continues. And so I pray as a church that we would be faithful witnesses, that all those who call the name of Christ here in this city, in this town, and beyond would be faithful witnesses by the power of your spirit. I ask your spirit to help me, to fall fresh on me uh, in a way that, just, that I can enjoy your word and sharing it with your people, Lord, because it's a great and sweet thing. Um, and so I just pray for your help. Because even though it's a great thing and it's a sweet thing, I am a broken man. And so I, apart from you, I can do nothing. And I acknowledge that. And so use this time, use your word to build the church, Lord, for your glory and your name's sake, I pray. Amen. Thanks, you guys. Have a seat. And we are, for one last Sunday, going to be in the book of Acts. Started this book, I guess, 28, 27, something like that, weeks ago, uh, back in August. And uh, today we will kind of finish it and move on. For me, it's always a great satisfaction to finish a book of the Bible. I know you're probably sick of seeing this slide, so you won't see it anymore, okay? Um, One of the reasons, one of the many reasons that we preach through books of the Bible uh, at this church is so that you will get a grasp on really what the scripture says. So even if you don't, and I'm sure you don't remember all 27, 28 sermons, what we've talked about that you will have a big idea of what Scripture is about. You ultimately know what the book of Acts is about. And so we usually give titles to our series so that help you. So we've called this one Witnesses because that's what it's about. Or we, when we were in Ephesians, we called it Identity. And Joshua, Choose This Day. Or James was Authentic. So that you have a grasp, a big picture, what the Scripture is about. So even if you don't remember the details, you can always go back and fill those in. But you at least know where and what is going on in the scripture. And one of the more helpful things to do for you if you're ever trying to think your way through a book is to actually go and outline the book. Like kind of break it down in an outline form. And when it comes to the book of Acts, people outline it all different ways. Some outline it, they just break it into two parts. The first half deals with Peter and what he's doing. Second half deals with Paul. That's not a bad way to deal with it. Some people use Acts 1 8 
you know, you're going to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the earth. So some people use that as the outline because that's where they start, Jerusalem, then they spread out Judea and Samaria, and it's the earth. And so you can do it that way. That's a good way, too. Another way that, that people break down the book of Acts is through what's called, been known as, through just theologians and commentaries, they call it the progress reports. Now, in my house, the word progress reports, they come with both weeping and gnashing of teeth or a great celebration, depending, right? Because every four and a half weeks, they get that little confidential, open that bad boy up, and there's every quiz and every homework assignment. Oh, I never saw this quiz grade. Oh. Right? Where was that from? Uh-huh. Right? And so the, the, the teacher's letting you know how the progress was. What Luke does seven times in this book is he, he gives the progress of the church. How's the church doing with the assignment that Jesus gave them? And so he's kind of like, boom, here, boom, here. Church is doing this. Church is doing this. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the progress reports just to kind of get one more big picture on what it looks like to be a witness. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to see what Jesus is saying to the early church, and then we're going to ask ourselves, okay, if this was your progress report, CBC, what would it say? Okay, what would it say? And see, in our house, 99% of the time, progress reports are a time of celebration because grandma and grandpa got some money for A's, right? And so there's some cash being thrown, celebration time, going to Target. I want today to be a time of celebration for us because I think there's some good things going on. But there's also sometimes when the progress report comes out, there's a time of readjustment, isn't there? Okay, we got a, we got a, a C plus, B minus. It's okay, no money for that. But what we're going to do is we're going to change the trajectory. And so if there is some assessment going on, it's like, okay, we're not, not right there. It's okay. The, the reason we have progress reports is so we can change the trajectory, so we can head back in the right direction. So I want it to be a time of celebration. Church doesn't celebrate enough. If we have a risen God who is mighty in power, that's why you're here on a Sunday morning in honor of the resurrection. We're going to celebrate on Easter in a couple weeks. We're going to put all whatever thousand of us in a room. It's going to be awesome. We need to celebrate who God is and what he's doing because he's doing great things. So let's look at the progress report. So let's jump in chapter one. Um, and, and, and each progress report, I, I kind of named a, a class to help you kind of remember it. And so we'll work through that. Where we start in the book, remember the book of Acts is part two of an anthology. Part one was the book of Luke, which covers the first 30 or so years of Jesus's life. The book of Acts covers the next 30 years of church, of what goes on after. But when we start in chapter one, Jesus is still on the earth. He's with his disciples. He spends 40 days hanging out with them. And it says in 1-3, he presents himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. He is proving to be alive to his disciples. Why is that significant? Because if he's dead, then it's a useless deal. If he's just kind of, they hide the body or if there's a hoax, if he's not really alive, then they are wasting their time. And so are you, quite honestly. If Jesus is not alive, then you are a loser. I mean, you may be a loser anyway, but you're a real loser because you're here on a Sunday morning in honor of a resurrection that never happened. So he shows himself, he proves himself, he eats some fish and has a little fish fry on the beach and he eats up in the upper room and they touch him and they see him and they hang with him because he's alive and it makes all the difference. And they think, this is it, all the prophecies coming true, kingdom, kicking Rome's tail out, Jesus rules and reigns, we're sitting on some thrones, this is the kingdom. And so they say, Jesus, is this the time? He says, it's not none of your business. 
It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed upon his own authority. But here's your assignment. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. I am going to send my spirit, spirit of Christ, God himself, to live inside you. When he comes, you get power. There will be power for you to endure hardship. There will be power for you to heal. There will be power for you to persevere. There will be power for you to do great things in my name. And as a result of him coming, you will be my witnesses. There's the assignment. You're going to start in Jerusalem, which is, by the way, the very place that Jesus was killed and murdered. Isn't it interesting that in his grace, where's the first people? Who are the first people he offers forgiveness of sins? The very people who killed him. And we move out from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That is the mission. And then he goes into the heaven. These were his last words on earth. And he goes into heaven. For 10 days, the disciples wait. They're in the upper room. They're praying. They're hiding. Until the Feast of Pentecost, and 50 days after Jesus was crucified. And what happens? The Spirit falls. They're speaking in tongues. Everyone's like, what? They're drunk. Peter gets up and says, we're not drunk. And this is, this is timid Peter. This is hiding from 12-year-old girl Peter. This is cutting off a guy's ear Peter because he's mad. He's got a temper Peter. He stands up and he preaches to, three, to all these crowds and he says, you killed the Messiah. You killed him. It's on you. 3,000 people get saved. And one day, and the church is born. And so now you have 3,120 people, and they're like, okay, what do we do now? Here we are. What do we do? Here's what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the koinonia, the, the community, to the breaking of bread and prayer. And notice they're devoting themselves. They're, they're steadfast. They're committed to to these things, to, to the teaching of the apostles, which is in essence the teaching of Jesus, and to loving one another. Big picture, what they're doing is they are loving God, because if you love God, you obey him, and they are loving one another. Very simple, right? That's the greatest commandment. Love God, love each other. And because they do, God moves in a mighty way, and we get our first progress report. Verse 47 says this, and the Lord added to their number day by day, those who are being saved. Who added? Not Peter, not the church. Wasn't the great programs, wasn't the great building, wasn't the great sermons. Jesus is adding to his church. Why? Because his people are just doing two super simple things. They're following his teaching and they're loving each other. That's all they're doing. And God is moving in a mighty way. How are you doing in this? How are you doing in your love for God, his word, and for people? Here's the first class. Homeroom. Some of you did well in homeroom, right? Didn't get a grade in it, so you did well. Why do I call it homeroom? Because it's the first place you go, right? Where do we go first? Love God and love each other. You don't go there, you can't go to any other classes. This is where you start. How are you doing in homeroom? How are you doing in your love for God and your love for people? See, here's another reason why I call it homeroom. Because you don't stay in homeroom long, right? Hopefully not. You go actually get out into the real classes Here's what we got to avoid as a church. We have to avoid event-driven Christianity, where this gathering time is the end-all, be-all. This is everything, because this is one hour and 15 minutes of your time. It's just homeroom. It's short. Out there is life. 
This is just where we come, encourage each other to love God, and we have opportunities to love one another, and then we leave. What happens if this becomes all of our Christianity? A couple things happen. Number one, you'll have two lives. You'll have the Sunday morning church life, and then you'll have that life, the real life that you live most of the time outside of homeroom. Second thing is, this will become all about you. You will become a consumer. It'll be like, I like this, I don't like this, serve me, do this for me, oh, this is about me, make me happy, make me feel this. It'll become all about you because it's about the event. It's about entertaining you for an hour and 15 minutes, and then you go. That is not loving God and loving one another. That's just not. It's not what this is about. Here's what it looks like super practically for us. Okay, and you guys are at the 945 service, so this is for y'all, all right? There is much sin in this church when it comes to saving seats. Okay, don't think I do not know. This is what some of y'all do. 815 service ends where the righteous go to church, 815. Okay, all right. So 815 ends, those people leave. Some of y'all are running in here, and you are saving 18 seats. You're pulling lint out of your pockets and throwing it on chairs. I got gum. I got a Bible. You got something over there, and you're saving a whole row for your buddy who goes to another church, by the way, and is coming over afterwards. And what does that do for the rest of the church? And I know this is not going to be an issue, at least initially, in the, but what does that do? And we joke about it, and and I, I get the issues. Trust me, I, I know. But here's the reality of our church. Most visitors will come to 945 and 1115, number one. And number two, they don't know that you have to get here 20 minutes early to get a seat. So at 945, what do they show up? 950. And what ends up happening is because you got a whole row saved for your grandparents and your cousins and your uncles and everyone that goes to first so-and-so church and they want to come to ours after theirs, is we send visitors to the video venue. Right? Which is fine, I, that we have, we have it because it's there. And, and it's not bad. But what would happen if our people, once a month, would be generous with their seats and, and purposely choose to go to video venue? What would happen if we would purposely choose to park further away and not in the visitor lot or the senior saints lot? Well, I'm 63. I'm close enough. <laughs> I run three miles a day, but I park four feet away. Right? What would happen if you would be generous with your spot? That's just a little op- just a little way in which you can show your love for God by loving other people. Right? And that's what we're talking about. Because what we want to be known as a church is, is just loving God and loving each other. That's why, we do a, that's why we do a long time for greetings, so you can go hang out with people. That's why we don't do what they did back in the 80s. Remember the 80s, if you went to church, what happened? They go, if anyone visiting this morning, raise your hand. How bad is that? Everyone's like, look at the loser visitor over there. Right? And they even make work. They hand something to them. They give them a basket of fruit. I mean, they do all this stuff, right? You are our welcome committee, and if there's this guy over here just sitting around doing nothing, or he ends up in the video venue... And this is his first time, and no one talks to him, and he gets shuffled around. It's on all of us. The idea is we want to be known as a loving church. We got brokenness all over the place. We got paint coming off. We got bathrooms outside. Who cares? Do we love God and do we love each other? Do we love God? Do we sing 
and, and, and praise him? And do we love each other and serve each other? Does our community group step up when there's a need? Do we love it? That's what matters. How you doing in homeroom? Because really, other, anything else doesn't matter, right? This church is doing well, and God is moving. And I think we are doing well here, and God is moving. But we, just, we just can't be complacent in it, okay? So let's move on. What happens next? Peter heals the guy at the gate. Guy's been there 40 plus years. Everyone's like, wow, who did that? He's like, not me. Jesus did. He preaches again, and now 5,000 people get saved. Then I get even more people. But then we start seeing the enemy attack the church in different ways. He attacks with pride. And so you got people in the church that are trying to act like they're bigger and better than they are. And so God says, okay, you're going home. And nice and spy, we're done. Right? And then you got attacks where they throw the apostles in jail and say, don't, no moss in the preaching Jesus. Angel busts them out of jail. The very next morning, they're back in the temple, 6 a.m., preaching Jesus. And then you see the attempt to divide the church. You got a racial issue. You got these, these widows over here, and this group is not getting fed. And, and so the apostles deal with that. They appoint some deacons, and they take care of that. And all this and all these attacks. And here's the next progress report. Here's what, here's what Luke says. And the word continued to increase. The number of the disciples greatly multiplied in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests underline that, became obedient to the faith. Even the religious people are getting saved now. The people who thought they could keep the rules that are going through the motions, that somehow they could earn God's favor, are now coming to faith in Christ. One of my favorite things when I see happen to this church is when I see the religious dude who hated church, and his wife been dragging him to church for 16 years, and he's miserable, and he hates it, and anytime he can get out of it, and then he comes here, and I always can recognize him because the first week he's mad. Because he ended up parking across waters. Okay? <laughs> and he's sitting in the back. Man, I'm, who's this guy talking to me? It's too loud in here. It's hot. And right? But he keeps coming. And six, seven weeks later, you might see a smirk. It's a little one. He don't want you to think he's happy because he's so used to being miserable. But you see us, and then two or three months later, he's volunteering. And six months later, when his wife was the one waking him up for church, he's waking up the family. Let's go. Come on. And that guy's gone from a miserable person to a charismatic. He's got his hands up in worship. He's cheering. He's excited. That gets me pumped. I celebrate that as much as anything. Because religious people turning into joyful people love it. And I see it all the time. I see teenagers who, who parents were dragging them to church. Now they're the ones getting their parents. It's exciting to see religious people turn into loving God. And, and here's the class. It's ID 101. Sounds official, actually, right? But what we're talking about is, is identity 101. For you, Mr. Religious, Mrs. Religious person, this is directed at you. Are you still trying to earn God's favor? Are you still trying to put on an act like you got it all together to impress everybody like Ananias and Sapphira? You, you got to go back and take ID 101 again. One of the reasons we celebrate and we gather on Sunday morning, Jesus' last words before he goes to heaven are, you're going to be my witnesses. What were his last words on the cross? It is finished. So if it is finished and he has atoned for your sin and done everything that needs to be done, then why are some of you still trying to earn his favor? Why are you trying to impress everyone and make them think you're more spiritual or better than you are? We're all broken. That's why we're here. And so you can rest 
in the finished work of Christ. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You are as loved today as you will ever be loved. You are as righteous today as you'll ever be. You have Christ's righteousness. You are guaranteed to be a child of God. You are an heir. You are cleansed. Your identity is in him. And some of you just need to stop trying to earn his favor and, oh, we have to do three days of quiet times to get back and trust in what he has done. That is freeing. That is why we sing. That is why we celebrate. And some of you need to get over that and understand who you are in Christ. Go back and listen to our Ephesians series on identity and grasp what he has done like these guys are doing. Right? How you doing in this class? Right? Celebrating? Maybe you need to reassess. What happens next? Stephen, one of the deacons, preaches this great sermon, and then he's murdered, really at the, at the hands of a man named Saul, who hates Jesus and hates Christians, and he's ravaging the church, and he's actually on his way to another city in Damascus to ravage some more, and Jesus knocks him off his horse and makes him blind, which is the most gracious thing he could have done, because what he should have done is killed him for what he has done to the church, but instead, he makes him blind because he's spiritually blind, so now he's physically blind. He puts him in a room, and he makes him wait three days, but then his scales fall off because Jesus says, I've chosen him. He's my chosen instrument. I'm going to make him stand before kings, and I'm going to make him stand before Gentiles and the the sons of Israel, and he's going to suffer for me. And the great apostle Paul becomes a Christian and immediately starts preaching Christ in the synagogue. He goes up to Jerusalem. No one wants anything to do with him because they're like, they're scared of him. And Barnabas is like, yo, this is my boy Paul. Y'all need to be buddies with him. He's one of us now. And and the church is is encouraged and exploding. And we have our next progress report from, from Luke. The church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. They have peace. Even though there's not a lot of peace, Christians are getting put in jail. Families are kicking Christians out because they come to faith and, they, and they're doing away with Judaism. There is peace. Is it possible to have peace and conflict and chaos and opposition? Apparently so. Because they have it. They have peace. And they're being built up. And then Luke gives a little bit more detail. They're walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplies. And this is like the, you know the comments on your progress report that you hate? bad enough you get the C plus, but then the teacher has, feels like it has to inform you of something. Like Bill cannot sit still in class and doesn't stop talking, like that comment. Bill's handwriting is the worst I've ever seen in the world. It looks like Klingon. <laughs> All right. Those are real comments, I think. Um, but Luke goes on and says, this is what they're doing. They have peace. They're being built up, and it's a, it's a, it's a construction term, like a house is being built up, Right? Here's the class. What, what class do you build things in? Shop. This is shop class. How, how are you being built? Are you letting the chaos and the opposition and, and, the, and the things that you can't control, are you letting them build you? Do you have peace in those things? Because it's apparently possible. Right? Why, why, why does chaos and conflict actually build you up? I mean, have you ever thought about that? Well, think about it this way. How, what makes you stronger, eating Krispy Kreme or doing push-ups? It's not a trick question, y'all. I mean, maybe it is, I guess. Krispy Kreme gets you to see Jesus quicker. Push-ups make you stronger, okay? 
Why? Because there's opposition on push-ups. There's, some, there's, there's resistance. Makes you stronger. Here's a church. There's, there's opposition, and they are being built up. And they're walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Spirit. That is key. Now, we think of fear of the Lord, and we think that's kind of an Old Testament deal, and yeah, wrath, and you know, kind of thing. The idea of fear is not only a New Testament term, it is, is a, it's for us. And we're not talking about fear like, I'm scared of the IRS, or I'm scared to walk in Savannah downtown at night. Different kind of fear. We're talking fear where you, you walk to the, the edge of the Grand Canyon, and you see the vastness of it, and it just brings awe. And you're, you're amazed. We're talking, you know, looking into Hubble, at galaxies millions of miles away you could never see, and seeing the vastness of God's creation and just standing in awe of his majesty. That's the fear of the Lord. That there's just a reverence. And I think we lose that a little bit in church. Because right? Jesus is kind of our buddy. He loves us, which is true. We're, we're kind of children of God. With He's our heir. He's our brother, which is true. But it doesn't mean that he is not the Alpha and the Omega. It doesn't mean he is not the, the Lord of hosts, the mighty God of Israel, who everybody will bow on their face lowly before him and before his throne. He is great. He is vast. He is big. And when you have a big God and a vast God, what does that do in the middle of chaos? See, you can run away from the big God, or you can run to the big God. And so they have chaos, but they are running to the big God, and now they have the comfort of the Holy Spirit. He is real in their lives. So the question for you is, are you being built up in your chaos? When ladies, when you're scheduled for the week, you look at it and you're like, oh my goodness, I got to do this a thousand things this week. Or you got the teenager that is 17 and you have no clue what to do with that teenager. Or you got your $250 short this month on mortgage and you have no clue where that's coming from. Or your, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, the one you thought was the one, you talked marriage, you thought engagement was coming, and he, and he broke up with you. And now you're just devastated. When that where do you go? Do you let that build you, or do you let it destroy you? If you have a vast, big God, it will build you, and you can have peace. Because this is, and this is why we celebrate, y'all, as hard as it is. And shop class is probably the hardest class, all right? Because, because brokenness hurts. But we have a God, and this is why we celebrate, who says, you cast all of your anxiety on me because I care for you. If I care about a silly little sparrow, that falls, and no one else knows, but I know how much more valuable are we, his church. That's why we celebrate. We got a vastly big, great God, and so we walk in the fear of the Lord. How you doing in shop? You doing all right? Solid B plus? What happens next? Well, God next tells Peter probably the most glorious words in all of the New Testament. Go eat bacon and shrimp. Right? Remember, he, he has a sheet come down. He says, kill and eat Peter. Peter says, no way. But what he's doing is he's adding Gentiles to the mix. 
which they struggle with at first, but then they, they realize this is what God is doing. And so Cornelius and the Ethiopian eunuch, we got all these guys added to the church. And then right after that, Herod, the king, arrests Peter. He arrests James, the brother of John, one of the disciples, and he kills him, cuts off his head. And then immediately following, it's interesting, here you have your next report. It says, but, even though, even though James is dead now, the word of the Lord increased and multiplied. See, this could have been a devastating deal for the church. You got one of the big three. Remember, you have 12 guys, but in that 12, you got an inner circle with Jesus. They saw him on the transfiguration. They were the ones in the, in the small group with him. It was Peter and the two brothers, James and John, sons of Zebedee, right? I mean, and now James is gone. I mean, it's not like Bartholomew. You could have taken Bartholomew out or Thaddeus. You got to take James what in the world are you doing, God? Now James is gone. We're down to two guys. What are you doing? The church is going to fall apart now because James is gone. Is that what happens? Or is the, does the gates of hell never prevail against the church of Jesus? And here's the reminder. History class. Because it's his story. Is that there's only one heavy in the church. And you're not him. And neither is James, and neither is Peter, and neither is Paul, and neither is Thaddeus, and neither is Matthew, Luke, John, none of them. There is only one essential person in the church, and it is Jesus of Nazareth. And here's, here's the practical lesson that we got to remind ourselves. That some of us think that we are pretty important to the deal, right? What would they do without my giving? What would they do without my serving? Without my this, I add a ton to the deal, right? I'm important. I matter. Here's the beauty of the church. Everyone matters, but no one is essential. If this deal is built on my gifts and my faithfulness and my righteousness, we are in big trouble. Big trouble. Right? If it's built on anything but the stone which was rejected but has become the cornerstone, then we are in bad place, y'all. And, and the beauty and the reason we celebrate is this, is that God does not need anything you have. Isn't that great? He doesn't need you. But he wants you. He's given you gifts. He's given you abilities. And he wants you to use them. But he doesn't need you, but he wants you. That he chose you. Some of you never been chosen for anything. You got put on the, you're the last person when the odd man out on the kickball team. We're like, great, we got him. But Jesus chose you to be part of his deal, to use your life. That is the reason to celebrate. Not that it doesn't depend on you, but he wants you to be part of it. And the gates of hell will never prevail against his church. Never. And so Herod, who kills James, gets eaten by worms. How you like them apples? Peter goes free until a later date where he's crucified. But Jesus' church goes on. How you doing in history? Making it about him or is it about you? Celebrating or a little adjustment? What happens next? We just kind of get that transition period now. It goes from kind of Peter now we look at Paul, and Paul goes on a couple missionary journeys. He goes on his first one. He takes Barnabas. He takes girly man Mark, who ends up quitting right after they start, right? 
but they go and plant churches. And now you got a bunch of Gentiles in this deal. And all the Jews, they are real uncomfortable because now you have uncircumcised, unlaw-keeping Gentiles. And so they're saying, we need to make them like us. We're fine with they want to be part of this deal, but they got to get circumcised. they got to keep the law. That's, that's how it's got to roll. And it becomes a huge debate, so much so that they go down to Jerusalem and they debate whether or not to make all these things take place. And thankfully, Paul and Peter and James all stand firm on the gospel and say, no, 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 no. It is believe, period. Not believe and do this. Believe and get circumcised. Believe and go to church. Believe and get baptized. We believe, right? And right after that, it says this, the churches were strengthened in the faith. They're made stronger because the gospel makes you strong. And when you add to the gospel, when you add to the good news, it's no longer good news. It's bad news. It's depressing news. If I have a a child who has a birthday party, and I throw this great party and buy all these gifts, and at the end of the day, I say, here's your bill, $250, please, which kind of sounds like me a little bit. But that's not good news. That's bad news. That's depressing When you add conditions to the good news of Jesus, you have to do these things. It's no longer good news. But grace and gospel make you stronger. Paul tells Timothy at the end of his life, be strengthened, my child, by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Grace makes us strong. The gospel makes us strong. What class makes you strong? P.E., baby. And here's the beauty of P.E. Everyone should get an A in P.E. If you didn't get an A in P.E., man, y'all. All right, sorry. I mean, you know, you got to show up and wear your shorts to get an A. But this is an easy A. Why? Because grace is great. And when you celebrate grace, it makes you strong. Grace frees you from not only the penalty of sin, but now it motivates you to obey. Grace is the motivator. This is what Paul says in Romans. He spends 11 chapters unpacking grace and God's mercy, and you're saved by grace, and you're not saved by works, and you're saved through faith. 11 chapters, and at the end of it, and when he starts chapter 12, he says, now, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. I've just talked about the mercies of God for 11 chapters. Because of that, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now I want you to obey, not to earn God's favor, but in light of it, I want you to follow him and present yourselves as a sacrifice because of his mercy, because grace motivates. Grace makes you strong. That's what it does. That's where we want to be. And here's why some of you, you're not real amazed by grace. And you can tell the way you sing, the way you worship, just, those are just little things. You're not amazed by grace. And the reason you are not amazed by grace is because you don't think you're that much of a sinner. You just don't. You all, I'm a sinner. I get that. For the wages of sin is death. But I'm not as bad as that guy because I've been in church my whole life. And so you have a low view of grace because you have a high view of self. Right? And, and this, is, this is the heart of the Pharisee who there's a prostitute washing Jesus' feet with her hair and anointing his feet. And the, and the, and the Pharisee's like, if Jesus knew how w- wicked this woman was, he wouldn't let her do this. He's, he looks over and says, I know who she is, Simon. I know. And he ends up saying to him, she loves much because she was forgiven much. You love little because you, were free. you, don't, you don't think you need forgiveness. 
you think you're pretty good? She washed my feet. You didn't wash my feet. She anointed my head. You didn't anoint me. Her sins are forgiven, not you, because she gets grace. Grace is why we do things. That's why it's an easy A. It's, it's PE. How can you not celebrate grace? Grace is why we sing. Grace is why you give. Grace is why you serve. Grace is why you don't go with the flow anymore because you've been freed from that. Grace is why you honor your father and mother. Grace is why you forgive your spouse when they've done the thing the thousandth time. Grace is why you use your gifts and abilities for his glory because he gave them to you. Grace is why you go over there when you see that guy, you know that he is a dirty, rotten sinner, and you go over and say, I am so glad you're here because he is just as guilty as you are, and the grace that God offers him is the same for you. And so you welcome him. That's why we do it. That's grace. We want to be a church that celebrates grace. And if you don't want to celebrate it, then go somewhere else because we're going to celebrate it because we have been saved by grace and grace makes us stronger. It makes us stronger when we grasp it and it motivates us. Be strengthening grace. So Paul goes on another missionary journey, the second one. He goes to places like Philippi, Thessalonica, Corinth, Ephesus, and then we get another progress report. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And this is right on the heels of in Ephesus, all these people take their witchcraft books and they throw them out and they burn them and they're worth millions of dollars. And what you see is the word is mighty. It is powerful, so powerful that it is changing people's lives and they're throwing away their millions of dollars with the books and now they are following Christ. It is turning them from sin and their old way of life. And now idol business is so bad in Ephesus, there's a riot because so many people are coming to faith and they're throwing their idols away that the businesses are being hurt because the power of God's word is changing. What class changes your direction and changes your trajectory? Driver's ed. Right? You got to turn here, you got to turn there. Is the power of God's word changing your life? Ask yourself that. What's your progress report say? Has there been a, a trajectory change because God's word? Because God's word we have treasured in our hearts so that we might not sin against thee. I have an assignment for you. Homework. All right? Everybody in the church is doing this. At least I told them to. And so the sinners won't and the holy people will. In fact, I told the, the, the welcoming team next week at the door asking for homework. So you ain't coming next week. If you don't do your homework, here's what I want the whole church to do. We are going to, as a church, all 11, whatever, 100 of us, however many people show up today, we are going to memorize a passage of scripture together. You say, a whole passage? I can't do that. If, if I said, come up here and sing, let it go, I bet half of y'all could do it. <laughs> let it go, let it go. You've been doing it easily, right? But you can't memorize one passage. 59 words. That's 8.4 words a day. So I don't know how to do that. Read it three times, write it three times, say it three times. That's not going to be enough. Then read it 10 times, write it 10 times, say it 10 times. It's 59 words. The whole church. Here's why. When you start internalizing God's word, you start living it out. When you start thinking about it and meditating on it, you'll be put in circumstances and God will bring that passage to mind. Here's the passage we're going to memorize. I mean, we could have memorized all, a ton of them. Here's just a great one to start for us. 
And some of you know this already, this passage. You had it read at your wedding, right? It's not a, it's not a marriage passage. It talks about the body, but it's all right. You can read it at your wedding if you want. Here we go. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irrash, irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You say, why this passage? Because sometime this week, your boss is going to be a jerk, and he's not rightfully so, and God will bring this passage to mind that love bears all things. That your spouse will do that thing that drives you nuts and has been driving you nuts for 13 years, and God will bring to mind that love is kind. That you'll be on Duran and someone will cut you off at 543 and you will be able to endure all things. That's why. Because God will bring his word to mind and his word is powerful and it shapes you and you'll see yourself being shaped by it. That's what we want to do. That the word of God, living and active, sharp as any two-edged sword, starts shaping our hearts. Right? And driver's ed. This is an easy one for us, right? 59 words. You can do this. Do it at the dinner table with the kids. Do it for homework with the kids. Do it before bed. Use this as a family time or you and your roommates, whatever it is, right? Especially when your roommate doesn't do the dishes and it's her night and she didn't do it again and then you're going to remember it's not irritable or resentful, right? That's what we want to see, moving in this direction, right? That's what witness does. So after the second missionary journey, there's one more, one more missionary journey. Paul goes around again, visits all these churches. He comes back to Jerusalem. He's arrested. He waits for two years in Jerusalem for trial to trial to trial, gets on a ship, does a little whirly whirl around the Adriatic, lands on Malta, gets bit by a snake. How you like that? Then he finally gets to Rome. And then we have our last report, the final exam, right? Paul lives there two whole years at his own expense. More waiting. How you like that? Two years in house arrest, chained to a Roman guard. But yet he welcomed all who came. He proclaimed the kingdom of God. He was teaching about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. How is that even possible that he is in basically house arrest and there's, there's without hindrance? Here's what's amazing about those two little verses. When you put the rest of the New Testament together, do you realize how much took place in those two little verses? Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, all of those books written in those two little years. And think about that. If we don't have Paul in prison in Rome, you don't have great passages like it's by grace through faith. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, lest any man boast. You don't have Colossians 1.16. He is the firstborn of all creation. You don't have all things through him, by him, for him. You don't have Philippians 2. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men. You don't have whatever is true, honorable, pure, right. Let your mind dwell in these things. You don't have any of those passages if you don't have this, this imprisonment. And on top of that, at the end of Philippians, he says, oh, by the way, all those in, in Caesar's house, they say Hi. All the Christians, where do they become Christians? Because they're tied to Paul for 24-7. So they got no choice to hear. And now there's a bunch of Christians in Caesar's own house. And that is how the book ends. That's how it ends. Paul just, I mean, Luke just ends it. And you're like, well, what happens next? We don't know. Not from here. But church history does tell us what happens next. 
What happens next is Paul is released around 63 AD. He gets out, probably goes on another missionary journey. Maybe that's when he went to Spain. He always wanted to go to Spain. He writes 1 Timothy. He writes the book of Titus. And then in 64 AD, Nero burns Rome down and blames the Christians. And then everyone hates the Christians even more. It becomes very difficult at that point to become a follower of Christ. Paul is rearrested, taken back to Rome, and this time he realizes, I'm not getting out. It's done. And so he writes one more book, his last will and testament, to his protege, Timothy, who is the pastor in Ephesus. And he says this to him. He says, I'm being poured out already as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. Notice what he says. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only me, but also to all those who loved his appearing. It's the end for Paul. And even though it's hard, because everyone's abandoned him, he says, do your best to come to me soon. Why? Demas left. He, he was in love with this present world. Demas is faithful guy for years. He's gone. I've already sent Christians to Galatia. Titus is gone. And, and I love this. Luke alone is with me. Who's faithful to the end? Luke. Isn't that awesome? Go get Mark, the girly man. He's not on girly man anymore. Bring him. He's useful to me. Isn't that great too? Ten years earlier, Mark's quitting. Now he says, bring, bring Mark. I need him. We don't know if Timothy ever made it to Rome. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. Maybe Paul was executed beforehand. What we do know is in 66, 67 AD, one morning, the dungeon door swings open and the filthy, ragged, tired, weary Apostle Paul stumbles out. And he, he leaves the heavy gate surrounding Rome, past the pyramid of Cestius, which is still there to this day, following a squad of grim-faced soldiers. You probably never noticed that their prisoner had a faint smile on his face as he walks. He was en route to his triumph, the crowning day of his reward. For him, to live was Christ, to die was gain. No axe across his neck would rob him of his triumphal destiny. In fact, would initiate it. So they marched him to the third milestone on the Ostian Way, the Ostian Road, to a little pinewood glade, a glade of tombs known as Trey Fontaine. There's an abbey there to this day in honor of the Apostle Paul. They stripped him down. They tied him kneeling upright to a low pillar, exposing his back, which would one more time be beaten with rods as it had been many times. And then in a, in a rush, in a sudden moment, the blade, which was high in the sky, sparkling in the, in the, the morning sun, comes down with a thud. And in that brutal moment, silently and invisibly, the the soul of the great Apostle Paul is free. A man of grace, a man of grit. His spirit soars into the heavens. He was absent from the body. He was present with the Lord forever and ever. And his story ends. But ours is still going. And here's, here's the final exam for all of us. Can you, will you be able to say at the end, you fought the good fight? That's the goal. Finish well. He, he did so with boldness. I love that word, with courage. Can, can you live your life with courage and boldness? Why? Because you have a risen Savior? That's why. 
And here's the final reminder. If you get nothing else, get this. You and me, if you are in Christ, the same spirit that was in Peter and Paul and Stephen and Lydia and Barnabas and the eunuch and Cornelius and the four daughters of Philip who prophesied, the same Holy Spirit that made them do great and marvelous things is in you today. The same exact spirit. You, CBC, have received power to be a witness. Are you? That's the final exam. Let's reflect on that and let's worship. Because if you haven't been, then the trajectory can change today. It starts by walking in the fear of the Lord. It starts by worship. So let's worship and let's celebrate who Jesus is. If you don't want to celebrate, then go. But if you want to, then sing. And let the 1115 service people who are waiting outside to save their seats, because they're sinners too, <laughs> let them know what they're going to get to be doing in just a few minutes. Let me pray. You guys stand. Jesus, be honored as we sing, as we worship, as we glorify you. May your church be your witnesses bringing you glory forever and ever. Thank you for the Apostle Paul. We look forward to being with him, learning and just listening to him and seeing his experiences in heaven for all eternity. Seeing Peter and seeing these guys who, they did it and they finished well. Help us to finish well. We don't know when the end is. Could be today, could be in 50 years, but we just want to run well. So do that through us by your spirit, Lord Jesus, I pray. Amen.